Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm Jim, and John is tapped out for this episode. Welcome to episode 133. Jonathan's got a cold, and his voice sounds like a forty pack a day smoker, and he's not feeling great. So you get me all by myself today, which uh, actually turns out to be okay because I want to talk to you about the uh, journey that I've been on, and I want to beg you to join me. So uh, I've been on a sabbatical uh, for a month and a half, and um, really the journey I want to talk to you about started before that, but I want to beg you to consider joining me on a uh, newer journey with God. So we're going to talk about um, what Jesus promised versus what we're experiencing and what's up with that gap. So that's what we're going to talk about. Before we do, I want to give you a story. So um, I live in a little town called Tenino, and our football team is the Tenino Beavers, the Mighty Beavers. And uh, we're having quite a football year this year. Uh, the team is 9-1 uh, and one going into the playoffs. And so Friday night before this episode, uh, I went to the playoff game um, at Tenino, it was the first home playoff game in 10 years for the mighty Tenino Beavers. And um, it was a great game. I, I only stayed for the first half. It got cold, uh, but it was a great game. And uh, I have to just brag on my Beavers here because they won the game 80 to 55. <laughs> uh, and ironically, there was better defense than that sounds like because uh, both teams had to punt a few times and a uh, couple times turned over on downs because they didn't make it on fourth down, uh, but it was a track meet. Anyway, uh, as far as I know, I don't think the I don't think the Beavers threw a single pass in the game. So eighty to fifty five without passing. Now this next week they will play the Linden Christian High School. I forget what their mascot is, but uh, I think they're the Linden Lions. Now Linden is a pro, is a perennial powerhouse in 1A football in the state of Washington. And that's quite a controversial thing. As you can imagine, I'm, I'm not an enemy of Christian schools, but Christian high schools can do things that public schools cannot do, i.e. they can recruit. So they can find good athletes and, hey, you should go to our Christian school. Well, I can't afford the tuition. Well, it would be a really good school for you. Tell you what, we'll give you a scholarship. And so, uh, you know, take that or leave it or love it or hate it. It's just kind of the way it goes. <clears throat> so this next weekend, I will be on Saturday, November 20. I'll be cheering on my mighty Tonino Beavers against the perennial powerhouse Linden Lions. And we'll see how it goes. All right. So uh, I'm captivated by this idea. I've been thinking about it for a long, long time. And uh, let me just give you the, the subject matter in a nutshell. And you can... Um, Tap in or tap out. I hope you'll stick around with me because I, I really want to explore this idea. Jesus said that I have come, the thief has come to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. This is the state of your entrance into the world. There's an enemy whose desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, he says, to give you life and give it 
abundantly or to the full, but for you to really know what it is to live life. Now, um, one of the another images for me is John chapter seven, when uh, chapter seven, verse 37, Jesus is on the, the last and great day of the feast. And he hollers out in this loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever drink, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, who was yet to be given. So uh, I want to contrast these two these two ideas. One, Jesus is saying the enemy wants you to suffer, to be handicapped, to be distracted, to be defeated. But I've come to give you life and for you to have real life, like for you to have this river of life flowing out of your inner being, for you to be um, uh, whole and abundant and full. So my question is, why are so many people, now I understand in the culture, we're in, a, we're in an epidemic of anxiety, despair, and depression. Suicide rates are skyrocketing. It's been an incredibly difficult season. The reality is that those rates are just as accurate inside the church as out of them. And I want to say I, this is not any accusation about any Christians who are battling anxiety, despair, or depression. My experience uh, during the COVID year has been that I have uh, had anxiety attacks that I've never had before, um, that I have had uh, some discouragement, despair. In fact, there were multiple times over the last two years where I, where I said to God out loud in my car, what if I just can't do this anymore? Like, what if I just don't have it in me anymore to do this job? Speaking of pastoring a church, uh, it's been a very difficult time. And I actually went to urgent care one day because I was certain that I was having um, uh, heart, uh, what do you call it? Um, anyway, I had, I used to have this thing. I had a heart procedure, fixed it. Um, I can't believe I'm forgetting the word, but I was certain that that was happening to me again. And so I went to the uh, urgent care and sure enough, there was no, they said, you're just having an anxiety attack. And so, uh, this is not criticism for Christians who battle anxiety, despair, and depression. It is hopefully some help to move forward. So, uh, this is the question. When Jesus promised something so powerful, so liberating, so anchoring, so foundationally fulfilling, why are so few people experiencing that? What is the breakdown that's keeping us from having this abundance in our soul? I'm talking about your inner life. I'm talking about happiness and uh, centeredness and uh, hope and optimism and faith and joy, uh, what is the breakdown and why are so few people experiencing this? And why is there an abundance among the people of God of anxiety, despair, depression, and um, hopelessness? And I think this is a legitimate conversation that needs to be had. And so over my sabbatical, this is one of the things I wrestled with because I was wondering if I had run my course in vocational ministry. Perhaps I'm aging out. Perhaps um, I don't have it anymore. Perhaps I don't have the energy for it or the stamina for it or the mental health for it or whatever. And so this, uh, this sabbatical that my uh, church elder team graciously gifted to me to 
to wrestle with this and to, to see what God might be saying to me and to Sue and I. Uh, this is one of the big things I was uh, spending time on. And prior, just prior to that sabbatical, I had been having some, um, um, really some personal revival that was helping deeply in this way, learning some uh, experiences of walking with God uh, a little more um, consistently throughout every day, being anchored and rooted. So um, I've been on this journey and I think I have some things that, that might be helpful to you. If you, like me, have battled some um, uh, anxiety or some um, discouragement or despair, uh, I want you to consider joining me on this journey. So let me just frame the conversation. So in John 7, Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me out of your innermost being is going to flow this river of living water. I want you to think about the the metaphor of water and living water throughout the scriptures. I did some glancing, and this is just a tiny um, sampling of uh, the metaphor of water as it pertains to the life of God. So uh, this you'll have this living water coming from you. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets this woman at the well. He says to her, um, she, he says, will you give me some water? And uh, he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. And in fact, he said, I'll, I would give you living water and you would never thirst again. And she, they have this conversation. So there's this offer of Jesus. Then uh, Psalm chapter one um, says that uh, blessed is the man who does not, and there's a list, you know, uh, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful or sit in the seat of the mocker. He doesn't walk in the path of the scornful. Uh, but what, here's what he does do. He, he loves the word of God and he meditates on it day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by streams of water. And he will yield fruit in its season. His leaves will never wither. And everything he does prospers. This is kind of the promise. That's Old Testament this is the promise. Again, the water idea. Then in uh, Matthew 13. No, let me go to this. Jeremiah chapter 2. Again, an Old, an Old Testament reference. Jeremiah the prophet, God says through him to the people, my people have committed two sins. This is around verse 13. Uh, they have forsaken me. Listen to this description of himself. The spring of living water. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. And instead, what they've done is they've dug for themselves their own cisterns, cisterns that are broken and cannot hold water. So here, here's what I want you to consider. Jesus literally promises us um, a life that is full, abundant, anchored, at peace. Uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack Nothing. Now, here's a simple question: Do you believe that? Do we, do we actually believe that? I, I in this season of these two years, uh, I quoted Psalm 23 to myself over and over and over again in these anxious times, and it brought immediate peace to me right here. Different parts of the psalm, but but just this: the Lord. Okay, not not a fairy tale, not an idea, but the Lord, the Creator of the heavens and earth, the one. Uh, John 1, 1 says, the one by whom, for whom, and through whom all things were made, the Lord is my shepherd. He's looking after me. He's walking with me. He's taking care of me. And then this declaration, I lack nothing. And so there were times in this 
last two years where I would have this kind of anxiety stirring up in me and I would stop and I would say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. And I would begin to find some of this peace. So I'm rambling a little bit here. So let me bring this right to, and this is going to be a really short episode because I'm flying solo and I don't have the benefit of John's wisdom. Um, I'm really proud of him and I continue to have people say to me, man, John is really smart and he is, and I could benefit from his um, smarts in this conversation. Life is hard and we make it harder because we don't actually, I think we don't actually believe Jesus can do what he said he would do. I think we, I think there's a lot about him we don't believe, a lot that he said we don't believe. I think we don't believe that there's an abundance for us that cannot be taken. I think we do not believe that we lack nothing. I think we don't believe he's our shepherd. Sometimes we question if he's on the job or not. And I don't, I don't imagine any of us will ever have a life without doubts. Um, but this, this is the crux of the matter is we don't believe that he is enough for us. And so what do we do? We do the Jeremiah 2 thing. Instead of uh, clinging to him, this fountain of living water, we get on our hands and knees and we dig. And we dig out and we scrape and we hustle and we sweat and we fight trying to dig out wells that will nourish us. And the problem is those wells are broken and they cannot sustain us. Contrast this, Revelation 22. This is the last book of the Bible. And it's describing heaven. And it starts like this, chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. So in other words, when we get to heaven, there's going to be this amazing city. And right in the middle of the city will be the throne of God. And from that throne will be this river that flows from there. That'll be the headwaters of the river. And it flows right down the main street of heaven. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. This is amazing. So uh, when we get to heaven, we're going to be drinking deeply of this water of life, and it's going to make us fruitful. And one of the things I've realized about uh each of us as people, when, when we say people want our time, they want to be with us. They don't want your time. They want your energy. They want, they want the life you bring to them when you're in the room. And this is the fruit that you bring. Think about this. If you're going to bear fruit, if you're going to be like Psalm 1, a tree planted by rivers of water, and you always bear fruit in season, and your leaves never wither, that means your life is going to be producing things other people can consume of. They can eat them. They can nourish them. They can find life in them. And that only comes from God. So here's the big question. How do I move from a life of anxiety, fear, worry? And how do I enter into the life of the river of life in my soul where I can be nourished, where the Lord is my shepherd and I like nothing? How can I live in that space? And here's the here's the uh, simple, I don't think too simplistic answer. And it's also good news and bad news. The simple answer is we find it by abiding in Jesus. 
In John 15, he said, I am the vine, you're the branches. When you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's the thesis of Jesus. When you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit all the time. You're going to be fruitful because you're attached to the vine, the life-giving vine. And, uh, you know, when you think about trees and fruit uh, vines, they don't strive to produce fruit. It's a natural result of the nourishment that they receive. This is what Jesus said it'll be like to abide in him. We will live in him and, and, and apart from him. This is the deep belief we have to have. Apart from him, I can do nothing. But in him, I can bear fruit constantly. My life can be fruit bearing as I abide in Jesus and he gives my soul the nourishment that I desperately need. This is an incredible invitation from God for you and me to be people who abide in Christ, to participate in his divine nature, to experience his real abiding presence in our heart. Now, this is the good news that you can abide in Jesus. Here's the hard news. That is not microwave. That is not fast. That is not instant oatmeal. That is work. That is time. So I have a theory and I'm, I'm really convinced this is, this is, uh, this is right. <laughs> uh, man, I hope you're still listening because uh, I hope your heart is intrigued to learn how to abide in Christ. I'm convinced. Um, there's a research that came out recently. Uh, I'm convinced that this is, uh, there's something here that is uh, substantial. A research came out and it, and it, uh, they had tracked the lives of people who engaged the Bible a certain number of times a day. And, I mean, a week. And so um, people who engaged the Bible up to three times a week had a certain experience, but people who engaged the Bible four or more times a week were having an exponentially different experience. Now, for most Christians, three times a week is a pretty committed, radical Christian. Uh, most Christians don't engage the scriptures hardly once a week. So you would think three times a week is a pretty extraordinary thing. Turns out that there's a there's a there's a exponential change when it's four or more. Here's a thought I want you to think about. I am convinced that God wants us to have. He wants us to have outcomes where we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. Okay, this is the goal. The goal is an outcome in your life. God's goal for you is this outcome of you being conformed to the image of Jesus, that you become like Jesus. And uh, the way you get there is through habits. When you think about your life, your life really is the sum total of the habits of your life. Uh, for example, you know this. You can see this really clearly in uh, exercise or diet. Uh, the investment you make in your significant relationships. If you spend lots of time with your family, your family's closer. If you spend lots of time, you know, you you can see when you invest money versus when you squander it. Like habits, your life truly is at the end of the day. It is the culmination of the habits of your life. In fact, it gets even more basic than that. Uh, every day you make tons of decisions to, to be forgiving or to be resentful, to be gracious and kind or to be mean and divisive, 
to be uh, generous or to be greedy, uh, to apologize or to refuse to admit that you were wrong. You make a t- these tiny decisions all the time to go the extra mile in your job or to do as little as possible. Uh, we constantly make these decisions. Well, these decisions create patterns and those patterns create habits. And your life truly is the culmination of the habits of your life. This will be true about abiding in Jesus. You cannot abide in Jesus on demand when you haven't been abiding. You can't instantly be there in a second. Now, this is the miracle. You actually can be because you never left there. You just weren't aware of it. But uh, you. Th- this is about habits. And so uh, uh, outcome focus, becoming conformed to the image of Jesus through habits that position me to experience more of Jesus and to uh, anchor my mind and my thoughts and to rule over my flesh and to and to find myself in Jesus. And that is content flavored. In other words, the scriptures are so important. You have to have the truth. You can't believe lies and, and end up in a powerful truth-based life. So truth is such a critical ingredient of this. So you have, you have uh, the truth flavor, the gospel flavor, the Bible flavored, God's truth, habits that uh, put you in positions where the truth can penetrate your heart, mind, soul. You can experience God's presence. And this results in um, an outcome of being conformed to the image of Jesus. This is what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it is to follow him. And so I think, here's bottom line again, lots of church-going people self-proclaimed Christians, lots of us are experiencing anxiety, despair, depression, fear, worry. It's, it's owning us because we are not abiding in Jesus. We are not being conformed to the image of Jesus. We are not anchoring uh, habitually in him. We're not practicing habits and spending quality time uh, habitually uh, seeking him and abiding in him. And we're not constantly... Um, conforming our mind, transforming our mind through the truth. Romans 12, 1. Do not be conforming to the patterns where be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're not renewing our mind with truth. So if you look at your habits, it will not be a surprise what outcomes you're getting. And uh, conversely, if you look at somebody who has a life you admire and you ask them about their habits, their habits will in fact point to the outcomes that they're experiencing. This is not rocket science. Um, what it is, is devotion, commitment, simplicity of discipleship to Jesus, to be a Jesus follower, and then having that multiplied by the supernatural power of God in our lives. God is eager. In fact, uh, Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible, hear this, to please God. For whoever believes in, whoever would come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is a great rewarder, but he rewards the seeking. And uh, here's another, here's another uh, angle. It's Matthew uh, chapter 13, uh, the parable of the seed and the sower. And he says, you know, some seed fell among thorns and it was choked out. So uh, this fruitfulness that God wants in your life gets choked out. And in, in Matthew, it says that those, those things are choked by worries and by the deceitfulness of wealth. In the Luke 8 version, Luke records it this way that your, your fruitfulness is choked out by worries, riches, and pleasures. It's all going to keep coming back to this. 
Where are you finding your life? Where are you seeking to find your life? Are you digging out cisterns, trying to dig a well that will hold water that will keep you refreshed? Are you being deceived by the, by the riches of this world? Are you chasing pleasures? Are you wrapped around the axle of your worries? Or are you abiding in Jesus and drinking deeply from this river of life, the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, and drinking from uh, the, the fountain of God, uh, transforming your mind with the word of God, Listen, there is a reward. There is a reward for disciplines that put you in the presence of God and help you to live this abundant, overcoming life. All of this requires a belief in your heart that God, in fact, honors this, that he rewards this, that his presence is real, that his love for you is deep. And so uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to consider uh, these habits. Uh, first of all, I want you to consider uh, your alone time with God. I want you to consider making a 30-minute-a-day commitment to an alone time with God. There's some tools you can use that will help you with this because sometimes you get there and you go, well, what do I do now? I'm just sitting here and you can't get your mind to focus. Maybe you have a hard time reading the scriptures. Uh, what exactly do I do? And I've got some resources that will help you with that. We've talked about the prayer of examine before, and I've got an audio that can walk you through that. We've talked about the Lectio Divina, the method of reading the scriptures. We've talked about that. I've got a blog on our website about that. Scripture memorization, taking just little passages of scripture, reading them, thinking about them, meditating on them. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about me? And what should I do next? And asking God to meet you in this space. Taking time to imagine Jesus in the room with you, being alone, turn off your devices, get everything away from you, ignore the clock, throw your watch away, and give God the opportunity to love you, for you to experience Jesus, to enjoy Jesus enjoying you. I love that phrase. Here's what I'm finding personally. As I give real time, uh, undistracted time, I put my devices away. I go in a space where I will not be interrupted and I do not bring my watch with me. Now, this when I, I found that when I give God uh, limitless time, it's always 20 to 30 minutes. It's not like it's hours and hours. and It's okay if it turns out to be, but it just doesn't have to be. But it's faithful presence abiding. So solo time, first habit, time alone. Second habit. The second habit is having two or three other people of the same sex that you have this kind of conversation with. We, we're calling them a triad. I think this is the pattern of a disciple. Jesus had the 12, but then he had the three, and then he had the one. We were made for a relationship. It's really hard to become conformed to the image of Jesus uh, all by yourself. So uh, the first is a long time with Jesus, really learning to abide. Another habit I've done, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, is when I'm having that anxiety, I just pause. Uh, hey, Lord, I'm here now. And I know you've always been here, but now I'm here with you. And I'm mindfully aware that you're right here in this moment with me. And I ask you to bring me your peace, your wisdom. I'm going to pause. Give me thoughts. Give me discernment. Show me what to do. I can't tell you how, how powerful that's been for me. Okay, so time alone with God, 30 minutes a day. I say shoot for seven, settle for no less than five. Second, 
a relationship weekly with two to three people, same sex, where you're having this conversation. How's it going in your inner life? How is it going with you anchoring in Jesus? Are you being conformed to the image of Jesus? Where are you ashamed of yourself? Where are you finding his peace and power in your life? What's going on there? How can I pray for you? Okay, this will be an hour and a half every week uh, with two to three people. If you have trouble finding them, then you go to the next step and find them there. And that next step is a community of, I would say, 10 to 20 people. 12 would be the ideal spot. I think this pattern of Jesus, 12, 3, 1, is uh, something significant. I think it's the way he, he created the universe. It's the way he makes the world work. And so I think there's something there that shows itself. I don't have time to describe all this, but that shows itself actually in lots of arenas of the world is this 12, 3, 1 thing. So uh, time alone, 30 minutes a day, time with two or three, an hour, an hour and a half a week, then time in a community. This is gender mix. This is a community of friends. This is a community of friends who meet weekly for the purpose of encouraging each other in our faith. We're going to laugh. We're going to eat meals. Breaking bread together is really good. Uh, We might share a piece of scripture. We might uh, do a discussion from the gathering on Sunday or teaching that we've heard or reading that we've all done. But it's a larger group conversation where the dynamics are real. Then the last habit is Sunday gatherings at church. I know you can watch online. I know you can engage online. I know you can be a part of an oikel church. That's all great. But gathering on Sunday. So as you can imagine, the least important part of this is the Sunday gathering. If you can only do three of those, then do the alone time, do the uh, two to three, and do the small community of 12 to 20. If you can do it all, do Sundays as well. Now, uh, this habitual pattern of, of energy-focused effort to put yourself in places and in conversations and in relationships and in quiet time with God where you are pursuing the abundant life of abiding in Jesus. You will start to learn to think of him throughout your day. You'll start to recognize him all over the place. And you will be able to instantaneously. How does a guy at the free throw line with no time on the clock and the games, he's, his team's down by one and he's got two free throws. How does he make those two shots? Because he's made them a thousand times in practice. This is the thing, these habits. So let me summarize this whole conversation. Jesus promised something that very few people are experiencing. He promised peace, joy, fulfillment, an abundant life. I'm talking about an inner life of the soul. He promised rivers of living water that we would never thirst. He promised to defeat worry, hatred, anxiety in Jesus. We're not experiencing it. In fact, we're experiencing the opposite. Why? Because we are being deceived by the deceitfulness of wealth, because we are being choked out by the pleasures of this life, because we are being choked out by worry, because we have not trusted that the living water of Jesus is the most reliable source for our life. And instead, we're digging cisterns to try to get our own wells and give our own water. We believe we know better than him. It's the original sin. We know better than him how to get the abundant life. And so we violate. 
So I'm calling you, I'm begging you to make maybe even a 30-day run at these habits to say, I believe that abiding in Jesus is the secret to my life. It is the master principle of God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, you can do anything. Okay, I had a technical difficulty there, and uh, that's why it sounded different. Let's go. Let's come back together and just kind of wrap this up. Uh, not having my tech warrior John mess me up there. Uh, here's the deal: the life you want, the centeredness, the anchoredness, the inner life, it only comes one way. It comes by abiding in Jesus. Learning to abide in Jesus will only come as we give time and habits to the scriptures, to prayer, to reflection, to learning to abide. This is helped by talking to some friends, praying for one another, being a part of a community of faith, growing together, being encouraged, worshiping Jesus together, celebrating his goodness. These habits matter. These habits make the difference. They separate, as we always said, the men from the boys. This is what makes, uh, this is what, this is what changes everything. Now, here's the thing. I'm not talking about, uh, a life of physical abundance and no trial and strife in this world. You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Okay. Life's hard. The world's going to be hard, but there's a difference about an inner life in Jesus and as we give our life to Jesus, he wants us to join him in his suffering that we might also join him in the power of his resurrection. So we're not talking about prosperity gospel. We're not talking about all your dreams will come true and you'll never have another strife, another, you'll never have a sleepless night or uh, an anxious moment. But we are talking about being conformed to the image of Jesus and abiding in Jesus and having this river of life inside of you. That though you might be outwardly wasting away, inwardly you are being renewed day by day. You are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. This is the life Jesus wants for us. And it is a life so worth living. So much better than the life without him. So it's time. It's time to go all chips in. It's time to, it's time to make a serious commitment to the habits that put you in a space where God can meet you, where others can encourage you and you can encourage them, where you talk about your journey of faith and your conformity to Jesus and the times when you stayed in the flesh and you were angry and you said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. Having someone who with skin on can uh, offer you the forgiveness of Jesus, the unconditional acceptance of Jesus. You can do this, man. You can do this. The life that you that Jesus promised. It's available to us. It's available to us as we learn this fundamental uh, belief and skill that abiding in Jesus is the deal. The most important thing in your life. Listen, I'd love for you to email me with some questions or thoughts. Uh, you can email us at info at Jim and No H in the John. Visit our website, jimandjohn.com. There's blogs there. We've been writing more lately. Um, man, we want to encourage you. Let me offer you one more resource. I didn't do a book review or anything, but let me give you one more resource. I just stumbled into these. 
they are workbooks and they're daily practices for about eight weeks, I think, typically. And there's an author named uh, Maxie Dunham, M-A-X-I-E-D-U-N-N-A-M. And the one I would recommend first is the workbook on abiding in Christ. Uh, These take about 10 to 15 minutes a day, and I'm finding them to be incredible. Another one, if you want to try a different one first, is the workbook on lessons from the saints. These things are awesome. Listen, there's tools out there to help you uh, learn these habits, these disciplines. To be a disciple is to be disciplined in following Jesus, disciplined in giving him your heart, disciplined in ruling over your emotions with your faith, the discipline of making your thoughts center on things that are above, not things that are beneath, the disciplines of letting Jesus by his Holy Spirit bring you peace when everything else is anxiety. There is fruit to be had. Man, I can't encourage you enough to chase after this. All right. I'd love to hear your feedback on the episode. Uh, Thanks for listening. Pass this on to a friend. Uh, Let me know if this was helpful. I'm super grateful. Sorry about the technical difficulties. And uh, we'll see you next week. (music) 